So hello and welcome to the Collectability Podcast. Today I am delighted to welcome Bryn Wallner. Bryn represents a new and important generation of watch influencers who, in a relatively short time, has made a big impact. Bryn has opened a fun and exciting world, sharing images of celebrities and particularly women, showing how they wear their watches on her Instagram and website, Dime Piece. Bryn's introduction to watches started when she was working in Sotheby's marketing department, writing content for the watch department. But the experience was short-lived as the pandemic hit and with it went the job. Fortunately for the watch world, her time at Sotheby's ignited the realisation that watch social media was disproportionately masculine and she set forth to change that. Most importantly, she brought humanity to the watch world, meaning that she understood that the person wearing the watch and how the watch fits into their lifestyle is just as important as the watch itself. Consequently, wrist shots of watches are accompanied by the person wearing the watch. The person wears the watch, not the watch wears the person. In addition to her social media activities, including her own podcast, Killing Time, Mm -hmm. Bryn has smartly leveraged her watch observations into paid partnerships with, among others, eBay and The Real Real, and she curates vintage and pre-owned watch collections for sale on her own website with Foundwell. As collectability's John Reardon said recently in the Financial Times, Walner is a rising voice of a generation and she has done remarkable work in visualising gender fluidity when it comes to watches. She brings long overdue attention to the watches famous women are wearing rather than just their clothes and accessories. Welcome, Bryn. Thank you so much. Thank you for that beautiful, well-researched introduction. (laughs) Well, I've been so excited to interview you because you've achieved in three years what I have not managed to achieve in 30 years. No. (laughs) That is creating a dialogue with women about watches and empowering women to love watches just as much as men. Mm but importantly, to have fun doing so. Mm -hmm. When I started in the fine watch industry with Patek, we only spoke to middle-aged wealthy men because they were the only people who could afford the watches and therefore the assumption was that no one else would be interested. How wrong could that be when we look at the exciting times we live in today? But women have always worn watches. Why do you think there was such a disconnect for such a long time? Hmm. Well, I boil it down to marketing. (laughs) Yep, Um, agree, agree. (laughs) uh, When I was at Sotheby's and I fell into writing watch content, which at the time I had really only known about Rolex, (laughs) Uh Patek Philippe was so distant in my mind. It was so aspirational and so beyond anything that was in my orbit that I just couldn't even begin to scratch at the surface. And I was puzzled because I was there. I had a great job at Sotheby's, living in New York. I was 29. You know, I was making a little extra money than I was in my early 20s and my 30th birthday was coming up. And for some reason, I didn't even aspire to own a watch. Like it was never on my wish list. But reading and learning about watches and kind of putting my own perspective into it, I was like, how have the watch brands missed me as a consumer? Wouldn't you think I would be kind of ideal for them, like coming into my own? And I represent an entire generation of people, young city people, good jobs, they want to treat themselves. And I realized that I wasn't alone. And I was just struck by that. And I think it's just the marketing. You know, I 
remember learning about fashion from a very early age, you know, reading Nylon Magazine and Teen Vogue, and it's kind of drilled into your head as a young adolescent girl, like, you want the Gucci, you want the Louis Vuitton, you want the shoes, whatever, the bags, but watches just never were on my radar like that. They weren't drilled into my head in a way that was, (laughs) you know, the competing fashion brands kind of got me instead. Well, that makes total sense, because why can't watches be aspirational? Right. And you're proving that they can. Mm -hmm. And it's just as long as we know about it. So you had a tool that worked for you really, really well, which is social media. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And social media has changed everything. And at last, younger people like yourself can have access to the world of watches. You use your social media platforms as a powerful tool to get your message across in a fun and lively way. And I love the name Dime piece. Mm-hmm. Can you just, for some of our listeners who might not know what that means? Yes. John Reardon's one of them. Um, <laughs> and he does now because I told him, but could you, <laughs> he wasn't alone. So can yes. you tell us? <laughs> um, well, dime piece is slang and it comes from, you know, hip hop culture and a dime is a perfect 10. So if you, and by the way, this is really hard to explain to um, Swiss I bet. Executives. I can't they imagine. don't have dimes there. Right. So I didn't really... Santi. Yeah. It's a song. <laughs> <laughs> How could I have predicted that this would have gone global? It was a very Americanized name. So it's a dime. A dime is 10 cents. So when you call a girl a dime or a dime piece, she's a perfect 10, which, you know, obviously I'm not trying to rate women by their hotness <laughs> using numbers, but I... I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. My friend actually mentioned it to me because I was obnoxiously, as I was learning about watches, I was like, ooh, timepiece. Ooh, what kind of timepiece is he wearing? And he was like, oh, God, why are you so obsessed with timepieces? And I'm like, well, that's such a funny word for a watch. And he's like, hmm, timepiece, there's something there. And I'm like, there is something there. And it kind of just like magically aligned. So, yeah. I love that. Timepiece rhymes with timepiece, obviously, so... That's where that came from. <laughs> well, and then immediately you're speaking to a different audience by yeah. using that name. Yeah. And and people can see the irony in it. It's just funny. I hope they can see the irony in it. And also, at this point, it's gotten bigger and bigger. And I'm like, oh, is it like weird for a white girl to be using the term dime piece? And, <laughs> but but I think like, it's transcended that. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean that anymore. It means... Brin's Instagram. <laughs> well, it's now. funny because Brin's <laughs> website. People see me on the street and they're like, Dime piece. How sweet. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> oh, but again, it's brilliant that you've just used a word that's become to mean something completely different. So, why has social media been so important to the watch world? Well, you labeled it perfectly as a tool. And when you were saying that you've been in the business for 30 years and I'm only three, I mean, you can really owe a lot of that to social media, which is a tool you didn't have. And it's just insane how connected you can be when you have a platform online. And I'm one of these people who's been online. I'm not a digital native (laughs) or whatever the term is for a Gen Z. I still remember the 90s, but when the internet was coming up and I was on AOL Instant Messenger and MySpace, I had always been pretty dialed into that. Um, And so I feel like I just learned to use social media in a way that was very intuitive. And when this came around and I was sitting alone in the middle of the pandemic, just being like, what am I going to do next? (laughs) And I was thinking about getting a watch for my 30th birthday because I turned 30 during quarantine. But I was just like, I have no idea what to buy. I have no inspiration. I have no reference. Like I can look at all these gorgeous pieces online when I Google them, but I'm like, how do I make sense? Like with these objects, how do I relate them to me? How do they fit into my lifestyle? So the Instagram kind of started as a as a research project for myself. Like, what am I gonna get? And here's, you know, baby spice <laughs> wearing a Cartier tank Francaise. I'm like, okay, once you start putting little pieces together, you start to, you know, figure out how you fit into this world. And I think a lot of people also, it did the same for them. Them following me and they're like, oh, Bella Hadid wears a Cartier Panther or I'm trying to think of a Patek, a Patek girly. <laughs> uh, yes, we need we need more Patek girlies, that's for we sure. We do, there are some. But <laughs> it really all changed when Cara Barrett, who was still at Hodinkee at mm-hmm. the time, followed me. And I was like, oh my God, like, Cara Barrett started following me. And 
Then she was also helping out with their social media at the time, and she reposted one of my posts on Hodinkee. And then overnight, I got like a thousand watch people following me. And I was like, oh, no, (laughs) this is too soon. I was like, I don't know (laughs) anything about watches. Now I have to get serious because all these watch people are in my DMs being like, show us your collection. And I didn't even have an I didn't have a watch. I had never had a luxury watch. So it kind of got serious. And the next thing you know, that led to Harper's Bazaar being like, can you write a column for us about watches? And I'm like, oh, God, now I really need to learn about watches. But social media is also a way to self-teach, too. So like YouTube, I was just pouring over YouTube, watching collectability videos. And then... You meet so many people through it, and then all of a sudden you're getting coffee, you know, with J.J. Owens, and I meet you. And it's just like what you do online has so much IRL potential if you can ensnare it. So what was your first watch after all of that Um, (laughs) crash course into watches? Right. Well, it took an entire year because... My 30th birthday came and went, and I was like, I still don't know what I want. And But I used that time. I was like, you know, at lunch with a friend, and I'm like, can I try on your watch? <laughs> or I'd be with my mom's friends who are fancier, and I'm like, can I try on your watch? And then I would go to auction previews. And because by that time, the specialists had reached out and they were like, come to the previews. What a great way to learn. I know. And who knew, even coming from Sotheby's, I didn't know you could just walk in and try on whatever you want there. Exactly. Didn't know that. So So much fun. Yeah. If you really want to learn about what watch you want, besides following timepiece, you try on as many as possible. And Good I th- advice. Yeah, I, I thought I wanted one thing, and I wound up settling on the Cartier Tank Francaise, which is what I'm wearing now. Gorgeous. Um, and it's simple. It's steel. It's the smallest one. It's not rare. And I got it from Cartier directly, even though I knew I could have gotten it pre-owned. But I was like, I want the whole experience. And then Vogue wound up running a story on it, on my shopping experience. So I really felt like a princess. And Um, so you should. It's a big (laughs) deal getting your first important watch. And I love that you went to Cartier and I love that you were treated like a princess Mm -hmm. because you should be. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a ceremonious occasion. It is a ceremonious occasion. And I think it's really important to recognize that, Mm -hmm. that, 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 that watches can mean that much. Totally. Because that's something that we just didn't appreciate before. Men did. Yeah. But I don't know why women didn't. Well, now we're in on the secret. Exactly. Make you feel like a million bucks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love confidence. that Cartier with a pep in my step. Absolutely. And you can be wearing anything. Yes. But you're wearing your watch. Mm-hmm. And that gives you the confidence mm-hmm. and the knowledge that you're going to stand out and you're going to feel good. Absolutely. Because people will recognize that you've got taste. You're wearing something important. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's such a powerful piece of armor. It really is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because there used to be this saying, one of the reasons that men really like fine watches mm-hmm. is because they could wear a fine watch to the boardroom Mm -hmm. to the office yeah but they couldn't drive their ferrari (laughs) they have to flex somehow (laughs) so they had to show how successful they were by this watch and it's interesting because i think the same sort of principle as we've just discussed matters for women too Mm -hmm. that it gives you an inner confidence as well as a confidence to peers who are going to know what you have yeah just a little bit more on social media how do you stay updated with the latest trends and development in the watch industry And how does this knowledge influence how you do your social media, what your social media strategies are? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just all comes down to who you follow. Mm -hmm. Because I could definitely get in the um, rabbit hole of just looking at like Chihuahua videos online. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I treat it as work. So I'm like clocking in when I'm going on Instagram, which is also a way to kind of justify it. Because social media also has a very productive and utility-oriented side, but it also can be very toxic and FOMO-inducing. And, you know, all of a sudden you're, like, looking at some girl from, like, 2011 and you're like, what? She's so much prettier than I am. (laughs) Or, Or watch people, oh, their collection is so much better than I am. But if you treat it as work and you're like, okay, I'm doing research here, I'm looking at you know, what people are talking about and who's wearing what. And all of a sudden kind of trends start to form and you see them and you have to look in unlikely places too. Because a lot of the times the watch industry is so insular that we're all kind of having the same conversations over and over again. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of knowledge being passed around, which is amazing. And I've learned so much from the watch community. But what I find really interesting is what 
non-watch people are into. Mm-hmm. And you'll be following the NBA account and they post the celebrities <laughs> sitting courtside. And then all of a sudden you see Bad Bunny and he's wearing a vintage Patek Philippe. Oh my God, that was and the it, most wonderful moment. Yeah, I'm just like, what? And you see it more and more often when you start paying attention, patterns start to emerge. And social media is just a good database to kind of like extract information from. Well, that Bad Bunny shot that you got mm-hmm. and then moving on from there we've seen him wear other Patek ladies jeweled Patek pieces mm-hmm. is for me probably one of the most exciting <laughs> without question most exciting <laughs> changes in the industry because this really is a testament to gender fluidity and forget women wearing men's watches mm-hmm. this is so much more important mm-hmm. because here we're coming to quite a few issues that well obviously Bad Bunny is a, an Powered masculine man that doesn't mind if he's wearing a female watch. Obviously, he thinks it looks great. Yes. But it's also smaller. Smaller. It just goes to show you can wear a smaller watch. The fact that it's decorated. I think that's really important because we haven't seen that many jeweled watches. I'm sort of very happy to see that as a trend coming back, especially with vintage ladies Patek. There's real value in vintage diamond or jeweled pieces, especially Mm -hmm. from the 80s and 90s. And they're really well priced at the moment. If anything, they're undervalued. Not for long. But not for long. If people like Bad Bunny, out of nowhere. I know. Has the courage (laughs) and the creativity to wear something like that. I was blown away. Honestly, I think that was one of the most exciting things I've ever seen (laughs) in the watch industry. It makes me so happy to hear that you're excited because I was like, bouncing up and down <laughs> like yes. am I such a loser yes. for being no. so excited no. about this? it was mind-blowing yeah. I mean we couldn't stop talking about it yeah and that's why I was so thrilled to talk to you and I think this is really important that people recognize that you saw that mm-hmm. and recognized that as important mm-hmm. and told us all about it mm-hmm. otherwise we wouldn't have known <laughs> yeah. so for that I'm very grateful in many ways Bad Bunny it was a fashion statement mm-hmm. for him so Here we're seeing, again, another important trend coming through. And how do you see these two crossing over, the watch world and fashion? Well, I definitely have noticed, and this has been happening in fashion for a while now, there's a lot of gender fluidity and it's, you know, you see on TikTok, you know, the boys have the painted nails and they're wearing pearl necklaces and it's Harry Styles in this Gucci blouse and he's on a talk show and he's wearing platform shoes and jewelry and it's the Keith Richards yes. you know just androgyny like David Bowie and it's and back. that's very 70s yeah so we're seeing very 70s. so we're seeing that as well certainly mm-hmm. in the styling of watches oh yeah back. the 70s are big in fashion and in watches and another decade that's huge is the 90s and I think that Patek that Bad Bunny was wearing was the 90s, yes, right? Yes, the ellipse was. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 4931 reference was from the 90s, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. The one he was wearing courtside, I think, was a little bit earlier, probably from the 80s. Okay. But yes, it's wonderful that he's embracing the 90s. And the 90s is my era at Patek. So oh. for me, this is very exciting. Uh-huh. Because as I mentioned to you, we had a real challenge reaching women then. Yeah. In fact, that's really what the 24 was all about, mm-hmm. Patek Philippe 24, was because that was a design that we hoped would interest women in buying a watch for themselves. Yeah, And it was priced artificially low, which is still expensive for a watch, mm-hmm. but the hope was that making it with steel, with some diamonds, I know that's cliched, but women did like that, mm-hmm. do like that. Yeah. So therefore that made it a watch that could go from day to night i24. Mm, um, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew that. <laughs> oh, oh I love cute. it. Well, yes, yeah, so that was the thinking behind it that that women really wanted a watch they could just put on like your Cartier mm-hmm. tank that gives you the pleasure and security of knowing you can go and work out with that, take the dog for all, do whatever you want, yeah. but you can also go to a cocktail party Definitely. and feel dressed. Yeah. And that's what a fine timepiece will do. But it's taking brands time to sort of really realize that that matters and it can work. And it takes time for them to meet women. But a lot of that's got to do with education, hasn't it? And here at Collectability, education is essential because we want people to really understand not only 
various watch functions and millimeter sizes, mm. but the history, craftsmanship and context within which a watch was created. There's always a big story behind mm-hmm. a particular watch. And you recognize that there is a huge gap in the market in terms of educating women about watches. Do I want a bracelet watch? Do I want a strap watch? Should I get a mechanical or a quartz movement? Does it matter? Mm-hmm. How are you diving deeper into educating women about watches? Yeah, well, that's definitely one of my initiatives that I want to be better on it because it's so easy to get swept up in what I'm doing, which is social media, you got the celebs, which a lot of people talk trash on celebrities all you want, but it is so mm-hmm. impactful. Absolutely. Because you see people and then you have your judgment, whatever you think of them. And then you can kind of internalize it and be like, do I relate to this person? Is this the watch for me? If you kind of use them as reference points. So whatever, you've got the celeb thing, you've got my <laughs> my partnerships with eBay. I'm also writing a lot. Financial Times story just came out. Oh, um, great. Yeah. And that's about women's watches. So I'm pouring all of my energy into all these other outlets. But at the end of the day, my main objective is to educate women to be smarter consumers. And that's something I definitely want to do more of. I think right now I use my articles, but I want to do more video. I mean, you guys are really inspiring. You guys are so on top of video. And I remember watching the video about the Patek Philippe Ellipse before I did a video with Hodinkee because I chose the ellipse as my success watch. Like, what Love does success that. mean yes. to you? And I chose Love that so the ellipse. Much. And I learned all about it because John was talking about it. And it was, when was it? It was in the middle of the quartz crisis? Yes, because the ellipse, the design of the ellipse came out in sort of the late 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, and it represented this really exciting sort of jet set, yes. fun lifestyle. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it became more than just a watch. There were all the accessories. You had your lighter. Oh my God, the cufflinks. The cufflinks, the letter opener, the <laughs> so money cl- clip. Oh my God, it was a lifestyle. So, uh, so yes, it's a really fun part of the Patek collection and one that John and I are obsessed with yes. ellipses. Oh, absolutely obsessed. It. So when you did that mm-hmm. we were like yeah <laughs> she gets it well, cool. she's a real watch person yes the but- golden ratio there's always <laughs> so much more than what you think yeah so is- why does that design appeal to us yes because yeah. it's aesthetically perfect uh-huh. yeah? exactly yeah. and that's so so striking to me in a way that like when you're looking at a pair of shoes or a bag, it just hits different in a watch because you know there's so much intention behind those little tiny designs. Every single solitary design, you're right, has had a lot of thought put into it. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, it's more than just let's make it smaller mm-hmm. for a woman yeah. and put some diamonds on it. I mean, Patek, for example, has been making watches for women from day one. And I think that many people might not realise that from the 40s to the 60s was sort of this golden era for ladies' watch design at Patek. And some of the most expensive and important pieces were made for women, not for men. And it's very hard for people to get their head around that. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, when we go 40s, 50s, 60s, we're talking about a period of time when there were watches like a 1518 or a 24.99, these very, very sought-after perpetual chronographs. I'll give an example. In 1961, a diamond cocktail watch, Patek cocktail watch, designed by the legendary jewellery designer Gilbert Albert. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. He was Patek's creative director at the time. He was very young. He was only in his 20s. He was 25 when he joined. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) He was your age, probably, when he designed this watch. He probably was your age. Amazing. And it sold for a staggering $25,000 at that time. Whoa. And that's the equivalent to three houses, 10 cars. Oh, my God. And at the same time, a world time reference 2523, which is the the world time with the Closonet dial in the center, mm. which now sells for $10 million. Oh <laughs> retailed for $2,000 at the same time. My God. So, okay, this piece had a lot of diamonds. It was a big, big, big piece. But the point is that Patek took women's watches really seriously and wanted to make watches that somebody would say, yeah, okay, I'm going to spend the equivalent of three houses on a watch. Oh, my God. I want to know who bought that. uh, I I mean, it was obviously 
some extraordinary lucky lady who owned it. But mm. um, this price differential shows us that there's such a huge disconnect in understanding the value of men's watches versus women's. Do you think that's changing? Do you think we're getting a better understanding of the value of women's watches today? Yeah. Well, when I came into the scene, which was like yesterday, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, these watches, you can look on Sotheby's and see these watches, women's watches decked in diamonds, made out of gold. And I'm like, just in material alone, these are worth so much money. You can, if you wanted to, you can melt it down and all of a sudden you have a bunch of gold and diamonds. Like, where's the downside? But then you see them juxtaposed to, you know, a world time, a Nautilus, whatever. And you're just like, the difference is six figures, mm -hmm. sometimes even more. Even more, even seven figures. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. Crazy. So I was just blown away by how undervalued the women's watches were. But I think it's changing. And even in my, you know, very short career selling watches with Foundwell, mm -hmm. take the Cartier Santos, for example. That watch is so hot right now. And it's even kind of harder to find on the secondary market in good condition. And the prices have definitely gone up. I mean, it's crazy, you know, and it's happening, but it's happening slowly, which is good. We picked up a Patek Philippe Aquanaut from the 90s that's the little guy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. quartz mm -hmm. but there's nothing wrong with quartz yeah it's 17,000 I think but if you look at the men's reference and the men's size I mean what's it's that it's 50 now yeah <laughs> so it's, it's like, ridiculous it's yes. crazy totally crazy yeah. yeah and that's you know I love I mean quartz might be a bit less maybe 40 but even so it, yeah. it's still a ridiculous difference. and what's the difference you know a couple of millimeters yes and the so, Aquanaut I love the Aquanaut, but I'm also like, it's a steel watch on a rubber strap, <laughs> like $50,000. And uh, it makes no sense. And I say that myself as somebody who works closely with these watches. It makes no sense. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's all what you project onto it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you can, it's like art, you know? So right. it's like, who's to say that your kid's finger painting is, you know, <laughs> worth less than a David Hockney or whatever. It's like, you see a lot of parallels in the colors, but it's like, well, you know, that's made by an artist who spent his whole career painting. And it's the result of so much more than what the eye can detect. So I look at watches in the same way. And when you're buying a Patek Philippe, you're buying from artists. So, I mean, I understand that. And I think it's good that women's watches are becoming more expensive because it's like, well, they're made by artists too. It's the same thing. It's the same brand. And they should be treated with just as much importance as the men ones. Here, here. Yes. <laughs> Yay. Well, well, funny enough, we saw that just recently at Antiquorum at the, oh, yeah. the recent sales in Geneva where a Patek bangle watch in the shape of a chameleon, a, a lizard, mm -hmm. sold for over $400,000, ah. which was absolutely mind-blowing. And I was a bit upset because I loved it so much and wanted to <laughs> want more than anything. Um, <laughs> but obviously not at that price. That's price most people out of the market. But it's still reassuring to know that there was enough excitement mm -hmm. to see a true work of art in the watch world come up for sale mm -hmm. and be sold for a value that it's a lot of money, but relative to men's watches, yeah. it was getting the due deserve. Mm -hmm. It justly deserved. Yes. And, you know, I think that probably a lot of people don't realise that the number one selling Patek Philippe watch of all time is actually a lady's watch. What? Yes. It's Which the, watch? It's the 24. No way, really? Yes. That's the number one selling Patek? That's the number one selling Patek, yes. What's the price point in of terms, In terms of volume. Okay. It's kind of like the date just as Rolex is Right, what, right. How much would a 24 what, set me back? I don't know what the current retail price is, but when I was working for Patek and we launched it in 1999, mm -hmm. we deliberately priced it reasonably under 10,000. Okay. So... Obviously, it's gone up a lot more now. Is it precious metal? It's steel. It's steel. With it diamonds. It kind of reminds me of the Francaise. It does. And that's, I think, really what, to be honest with you, what Patek was trying to go after mm. was that tank Francaise. Mm -hmm. That beautifully simple, yeah. elegant watch that a woman would want to wear. Yeah. It makes me feel safe that I'm wearing just a steel watch. <laughs> I agree. Um, I absolutely agree. You know, yes. like yes. there's no flex element to it. I mean, there is because I'm wearing a Cartier watch or I'm wearing a 24, but you feel kind of like 
you're not making some crazy statement wearing it. Yes. Which I find a lot of comfort in. I agree. For an everyday watch. I agree. So and, I can and, see that. Yeah, and for that reason, I wore my 24 for, oh my God, 20 years. I mean, really, wow. I just, it was the one watch I wore more than anything because I felt so comfortable. Yeah. And you'll do the same with mm -hmm. that Cartier tank, I'm yeah. sure. This one works well on the subway. <laughs> it does. It my does. <laughs> I wore mine on the subway without any fear. <laughs> I don't know if my iced out um, gold Nautilus would do as well on the subway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, like I, love dream. I love that you're talking about Patek. Do you have a current favorite Patek at all? I mean, I do love the teeny tiny Nautilus, which recently Hailey Bieber has been wearing. Um, that is so cool. Yes. It's like probably 28 millimeters. Uh -huh. And Diego Maradona actually wore it too. That size. Oh, oh that's even more interesting. Oh, there's a he wore it great photo size. of him, I think, in Miami with a Speedo. <laughs> and it's just the Classic. Speedo, the shades, and the teeny tiny protection. I love it. And his is a black dial, which is really good. Uh huh. But I could see myself with just, you know, the, the gold dial. I love the pint size Nautilus, but it has to have the bracelet that you think of with the Nautilus because mm -hmm. there's a ladies' version with a different kind of bracelet. Sort of more rounded, yeah. Yeah. That one it's... doesn't hit the same. Yes, I, I want know just what you mean. like the pint size <laughs> gold Nautilus. I think that is such a good watch. It really is. And that's a really great choice, I must say. It really is. And I think it's so much more interesting than a 5711 or men's Nautilus that are getting all the attention. Yeah. The oh ladies my God, the 5711 is its own story. Oh, well, we're not going to go there today. <laughs> <laughs> What's your dream one? The chameleon one? Well, the, the chameleon bangle? was, but then that's gone out of the window. Oh, so, um, Unless you win the lottery. Unless I win the lottery. And I made a silly mistake of saying publicly that I would trade in all my oh. watches just for that chameleon. <laughs> you know, that probably has resounding impact. And it's one of the reasons why it traded so high. <laughs> I should high. just keep my mouth shut. Yes. We, That's both all. Both of us. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not posting Hailey Bieber anymore. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be like $200,000 by the time I have enough money. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, for me, I mean, I guess because I'm a diehard Patek person. Yes. I mean, my ultimate would really be a complicated oh, piece. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a 3940 to me, I think, is the most perfect watch ever made. Which one? That? That's the perpetual calendar, Oof. just the simple perpetual calendar. Mm. Um, and that came out in the mid 80s mm. um, at the time when people were thinking that the mechanical watch was going to die. And Philippe Stern was then president. When he wasn't actually president then, but his father was president, Henri Stern. But Philippe was very involved with making sure the mechanical watches survive. And I think it's just the simplicity of it. And now they've gone up in value uh. so much more. So I couldn't Mom, you know, price yeah. me out. How do we so, keep up? How do we keep up? This is the problem. This is Bryn Walner of Dime Peace, and you're listening to my interview with Tanya Edwards on the Collectability Podcast. What, in your view, makes a watch truly special and worth investing in? Mm, that answer is different for everyone. Mm. You put whatever meaning that you inject into it from your own life and point of view and your Swatch Watch could be just as valuable in your heart as your Patek Philippe 100%, world time. <laughs> 100%. Which is obviously a very like rosy answer because... Then you look at the numbers and you're like, okay, well, <laughs> this one's $300,000 and this one's $30. But I really do strongly feel that it does come from your heart and your soul. And the watch's value on Chrono 24 is almost irrelevant if you don't love it with your whole being. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the way I see it. Well, you know, Bryn, John and I at Collectability agree with you 100%. We're asked that question 10 times a day. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, which Patek should I get? Which is going to be worth the most, you know? Ugh. And we could never give an answer ever to no. that. First of all, we don't have a crystal ball. Yes. And secondly, the most important thing is that you do exactly what you've just said, Bryn. You buy with your heart. Yes. You buy and you just love it and it should give you joy. Every time you look at your wrist, mm -hmm. you've got to feel joy. Yes. It's not something that you put into a vault and never take out because you think it's going to be worth more money. Yeah. And that's why the Stern family, their own Patek, are making it very hard to buy some of these 
really sought after watches mm. simply because they want people to buy them because they want to win yes. them, not because they want to save them. Well, it's a shame what happens. And you look at the art world too. And I've read about storage facilities in Switzerland where all these art pieces go because right? they're just investment pieces and they don't get to see the light of day. And how sad is that? And the same goes for watches. And buying with your heart, I think, is also something that comes naturally to a lot of women, which mm -hmm. is also why mm -hmm. when I speak mm -hmm. to women about their watches, and it's this, you know, men too, but I've just found that, you know, pretty consistently with women, there's always a story. And that's also what's made my life easier with Dime Piece, telling stories that women, you know, relay to me and me just communicating that. It's like, there's so much that goes into buying a watch. And I look at what I do and people are like, I bought a watch because of you. And I'm like, am I just wow. getting people to like spend money? And I'm like, no, no I'm not. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, brand. it's really sweet. That's like the highest compliment. It must, that, I that get. is the highest compliment yeah. you could possibly get. It Somebody really that, is. I was at the Freeze Art Fair and some girl came up to me and she was wearing a two-tone tank front face and she's like, I just want to let you know that I bought this because of you. <laughs> and oh, then she just I left. Love it. Very chill interaction. Oh. There was no big stop in chat. She just like wanted to let me know and then she left and it was just like, oh. Well, you know that you're doing your job and you're really achieving something. And that brings me on to female collectors, actually, mm -hmm. women who start taking it really seriously. Yeah. Recently, John interviewed a young female collector called Jacqueline Lee, mm -hmm. who's amazing. She's like you. She came into watches during the pandemic and now has sort of zoomed up the scale because amazing. her knowledge is extraordinary and she's starting to collect some really serious pieces. Yeah. Are you seeing women start to talk about watches to yeah. each other? Yeah. I mean, just interpersonally, I think a lot of my friends, we just talk about it in a way that we would talk about, you know, five years ago, like, bags. <laughs> but I think kind of on a public scale, you know, JJ Owens, uh -huh. I identified her as a watch buddy from very early on. We found each other through social media. We wound up meeting. I interviewed her for Dime Piece about her collection. And I was just like, how does this woman who's 25 years old, I'm like, how does she have this crazy collection? And she was just like, my dad, you know, he... She's one of two girls. So there was no son to pass. What's the slogan? You, you don't never own. actually own a pate. You merely take care of it for the next generation. Oh, God. That's got to go down in history as the best tagline ever. And I know that that applies to women and men. But yes. I think oftentimes it is applied to men. And, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. if a father has a watch collection, those watches are going to the son. Mm -hmm. You know, so and true. that's just, I feel like, the culture. Um, but... When you're a father and you have a watch collection, but you only have daughters, it's nice to see. In JJ's case, um, he taught her, you know, age 13, here is, you know, my Tag Heuer Monaco or whatever. They're watching James Bond together and they see, he's like, look at the watch he's wearing. And he's kind of, you know, pulling from culture and he's showing her what he wears. And she just explained to me that she had somebody from a really young age teaching her about watches and when you have so much time put into it you start to develop your own collection and you know whether you're like JJ and you have a fabulous collection and you know all these amazing pieces or you're just collecting swatches or whatever it helps when it has started from an early age because I came in this at age 29 and I was so intimidated and when people were like mm. let us see your collection I was like should I just lie to these people <laughs> and be like oh yeah I own a date dress but I never wear it <laughs> <laughs> or I own an Aquanaut and never wear it. But I was like, oh, I should probably be honest because it'll catch up with me. So I'm also somebody who's like, I never had a collection and it doesn't matter where, oh. when you start and it doesn't matter how much you know because you just got to start somewhere. A hundred percent. And that's what I love about Bryn is your honesty. And that's the whole point. Women can relate to you mm -hmm. because you are honest. Yes. I wouldn't have Patek's if I hadn't worked for the company for a long time. So, <laughs> you know, we have to be realistic about how people get to these privileged situations. Absolutely. It's not real life. We're just operating on a totally different plane talking about watching. We are. I agree. But the one good thing about vintage is that it is an opportunity to open up this ethereal privileged mm -hmm. world uh -huh. <laughs> to a new audience yes. um, even though it's still very expensive but you're now in this extraordinary position where you are 
being wined and dined oh my god <laughs> by the big brands they fly you around the world they put you in helicopters they <laughs> put you up at the best hotels and i love how you and malika crawford discuss your adventures mm-hmm. in your killing time podcast i've always wondered though do you think this strategy of giving elaborate events helps brands i mean is <laughs> is this we're coming back to marketing again, because obviously for me personally, as a marketing person, it's mm-hmm. something I'm really interested in. Mm-hmm. Is this the way to reach women? But I guess there's this fun, glamorous world out there that yeah. people want to see, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've thought about this too, because I'm like, sometimes I'll go on a flight and it's like the middle of the summer and I'm going to Europe and I'm on a business class flight. And I'm like, how much Lucky does you. this cost? <laughs> I know. Well, pinch me. Because mm-hmm. now, you know, when I travel on my own and I'm sitting in economy i'm like (laughs) i'm so spoiled why did i even get a taste of this (laughs) um but i'm just like is there a return i have found that the most impactful trips do have a return in the sense that they're helping me learn about their brand so you know i went on an omega trip i went to madrid and i was just so on cloud nine because it's, you know, all these trips, it's a lot of whining and dining. It's a fancy dinner. You know, maybe there's, you know, some celebrity that you get to, you know, shake hands with and ask one question, which is great. But Omega went the extra mile and they actually did a whole exhibit on archival women's watches dating back to the 1800s. And it was like a pop-up museum and it was only women's watches. How wonderful. Yeah. And they pulled all these pieces from their history. And there was a lot of Grima, Andrew Grima, right? And I was just like, now I'm really learning about their history and I'm learning that they were a brand that's been dedicated to women. And I'm sure I've protected the same thing. You Absolutely. Know. Yes. Call me up, you know, get me on a flight. <laughs> well, that, that's why it's really fun, actually, to go to the Patek Museum. I would love to. Because I've been very fortunate, been quite a few times, mm-hmm. but every time I go, my socks are blown off. Yes. And now I find myself just sticking in this sort of one area of the decorative timepieces mm-hmm. so the pendant watches and the pretty little pieces that were made in the late 1800s mm-hmm. early 1900s and they are just truly delicious oh, yeah. works of art it transfers you to another world and another time and it's interesting because it reminds me of a story we have a client who during covid bought a couple of little enameled pendant pieces he has two daughters and bought them each for his daughters and he lives in London and John and I were in London so we delivered them after the pandemic when we could fly and he saw them and I'm not portraying any confidence he literally teared up Mm. and said these are the most beautiful things I think I've ever seen and he's you know he's a big Patek collector he's got Patek's he's got Rolex he's got everything but these little tiny pendant watches it was so emotional to him and it was one of the most pleasurable experiences I've had to see that's the reaction that these timepieces can do. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. And he was so excited. And his daughters are only young. Yeah. But he knows that as they get older and they start to appreciate what they have, they're going to love them as oh, much as him. Now I'm going to tear up. <laughs> so beautiful. And then but maybe I'll interview them for dime piece. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when they're old enough to understand yes. that they're very, very lucky little girls. <laughs> but that's the whole point. There is this whole other world out there of timepieces that were always very emotional mm-hmm. but they, because they were always given us a very special occasion. Mm-hmm. They'd usually be a token of love and there's often little secret messages inside. Or, And I think that that's something that maybe we should start thinking about a little bit more today with women's watches, that there is this lovely emotion associated with them and they do make the best gifts you can possibly give. Oh, yeah. As long as you know what the lady would like. Yes. And that's where you come in mm-hmm. because I think empowering women to look at watches and be articulate about what they Uh like is really, really matters. Yes. Because the number of times I've met ladies whose husbands are big Patek collectors and they give them a Patek and they go, well, it's nice, but you know, I'm never going to wear it. This is what I really wanted. Yeah. If women were able to stand up and say, I love watches, I would love one of these, or I'm going to save up until I can afford one of these. Mm -hmm. I think that would make a really big difference. Oh, definitely. And I think it's happening. Well, thanks to you, it's happening. (laughs) Thanks to all of us. (laughs) I couldn't do it without the whole community. Well, and you've been so supportive. That. You've built that community and I think that's what is special. 
And that's, of course, what social media is all about, is community. And um, that's a voice, a powerful voice. So within your wonderful community, you've remained independent Mm -hmm. and maintained this very strong voice. Would you ever consider working for a brand? Ooh, good question. Uh, Well, I feel like, yes, when I'm a little bit older and I mean, I'm already... Je suis fatiguée. I bet. I don't know how you find all these pictures, <laughs> thousands of them. Amazing. I, I mean, I am so tired. <laughs> <laughs> I just turned 33 and I know I'm young, but I'm not early 20s young where I could have, you know, gone uh, to L.A. And then I come home and then I write an article and then I go to Europe. And da, da, da. it's like it is so much work to be just a sole person behind the business. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing everything. I'm answering the emails. I'm being, you know, on stage for these brand things. I'm writing articles. I'm meeting deadlines. I'm God knows what. <laughs> I'm looking at Getty images. And I feel as though it is maybe something that is not sustainable for the rest of my life sure and it would be kind of nice because i've been in the corporate world Mm -hmm. i had a whole career before this in marketing (laughs) and that's also something i have to tell people too because if you just start social media but you don't have you know a formidable you know background and maybe it's different um but i do owe a lot of my success and the longevity that it's you know i mean it's only been like three years but um i couldn't have done that without having the corporate or the career background and all the hard work that I put into Mm -hmm. just building myself up and my network. So it's like, I know what a corporate job is like, and it's a little cushier and it's definitely harder and you sacrifice some of your freedoms. But I think maybe in the future when I can't be everywhere all at once and constantly online and, you know, fielding everything, it it would be nice to maybe take a job and, (laughs) you know, let myself off the hook a little bit and not have the buck stop just at me and to have the shelter of a corporate job. (laughs) You know, I don't know if that makes sense. It makes total sense. And it's actually an interesting segue to a question I have, which is, do you see any other women in your space coming up who are doing the same sort of thing as you, who you respect and can start to take over the mantle? I am definitely seeing more women coming in. And you have peers of mine, JJ, Malika, you know, Cara Barrett, I would say that even younger women are getting into it and people are like, have you seen this girl? She's on TikTok. And it's like a lot of, you know, what you're doing and it's pointing out celebrities. And it's funny to see how when there's such a limited amount of women in a space, people almost like to see them compete. (laughs) And people are like, did you see this TikTok? It's like what you posted last week. And I'm like, at first I was like, oh no, like a somebody's on TikTok and she's younger than I am and she probably knows way more cool things than I do. But then I'm like, I cannot be triggered by this. Like, this is what I set out to do right. is and to get d- more women into watches. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, she saw me as an inspiration because she wanted to work with me in the beginning and I just dragged my feet. And I'm like, no, this is exciting. And the fact that we didn't wind up working together and she's now doing her own thing, like, that is great because how many men are there doing it on social media, writing about oh, it? It's countless, like, countless. Countless. So it's like, why not make women countless too? There's plenty too? of yeah. room and, for women. Oh, there's yes. so much room. And when we can all kind of appreciate that together and acknowledge the goodness that can come out of it and acknowledge the fact that the brands are starting to listen to us. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, coming from Watches and Wonders, and this is what my Financial Times article was about, is the brands, I think for a while, we're like, uh, you know, You talk about Patek in the 40s and the 50s and even like the 90s. And I was talking to John about computer-aided design and how that kind of impacted a different way of thinking. But pre that, there was so much creativity that went into these little pieces. And listen, I didn't get invited to the Watches and Wonders Patek Philippe appointment. So I don't really know what their novelties are. But from what I saw, I was like, "Ah." you see what the brands have for women. And I think up until really recently, it was very kind of under-considered. Coming out of this year's Watches and Wonders, I was like, oh my God, people are making watches for women. And jewelry watches are making a huge comeback. Even secret watches, 
watches on necklaces and the pendants, like Van Cleef and Piaget, but also Gégé Lecoultre did a Reverso necklace. And I was like, oh, is this from like the 1900s? And they were like, no, we just came out. <laughs> I was oh, like, wonderful. what? And it's like, that might be overly feminine and kind of overly decorative for your everyday watch, but to see watches that are made for women in mind is really exciting, and I think it's a result of more women coming in and being heard. Good. Well, I'm delighted to hear that because Watches and Wonders or Basel before... Sausage Fest? Yes, but <laughs> they also were a chance for the brands to show where they could go with mm. creativity. And women's watches are obviously an area where you can be more creative because you can decorate them with enamel or engrave them or now marquetry, etc. So that would be the platform to show off the really special stuff. Mm -hmm. But then it just got lost in the sausage fest, as you so beautifully call (laughs) it, Um, which is that men would go, oh, yeah, those are really interesting. And then it's gone. Whereas now, because women are coming to these fairs, oh, my goodness, this is so gorgeous. Yes that brands have to pay attention and see that there is a market for creativity and start to use it because you've got the ingredients, you've Mm -hmm. got the skills, you've got the know-how. history. And the history and extraordinarily beautiful things to draw on from the past that can be brought back, as well as being innovative in today. But I think everything has already had its time once, but there's nothing wrong with bringing it back and making it modern. That's for sure. I love that. So, um, any brand, I have to say, because I was, I was sort of going to ask you about what's the future for Bryn. And if you do decide to go into the brand side, please use your power as a marketeer <laughs> to help them communicate better. Yes. Because it's so important. And any brand would be very lucky to have you oh, say that's that. Sweet. Well, I do flip through magazines because I still get magazines sent to my I house. love magazines. Yes. Actually. Magazines are the best. They are. Hold it. Hold you don't it. have to look at your screen to read a long form article. Exactly. Oh, heaven is sitting eating my breakfast, reading (laughs) (laughs) I guess, comfy chair. Yes. But I will tell you, the marketing is still very lacking. Mm -hmm. I am Mm -hmm. so bored at the watch It's all the same. It's all the same. It's all a really, really beautiful woman, a celebrity that you know, and she's wearing her watch and she's got this very serious look on her face. And it's just like... Yes, could she look a bit happier? Yeah. I'm like, I don't get it. This yeah. does nothing for me. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, I would I would love to somehow make an impact on that corporate level. Oh, good. Well, I'm really pleased to hear that. And especially coming from this old watch lady here, I just want to say how proud I am of what you have achieved. Oh, thank you so much. And I wish you all continued success and may you be an inspiration to many more women for many decades to come. Well, I'm very inspired by you and I'm lucky to have people like you who have been in this for so many years that I can learn from. And I'll never forget when I met you and you were wearing that beautiful watch at the Horological Society of New York Gala. And I was like, this is it. (laughs) Oh, gosh, yes. That was a really special, that was a sweet, wasn't it? It was a watch with a matching ring and matching earrings. Oh, my God, so fab. Again, from the days when that's what women would wear. Mm -hmm. It was a whole experience to dress up with a watch. That watch was part of the jewellery, watch was part of the accessories. So you appreciated that straight away. And I thank you for that. There's lots more exciting things to see for yeah. women in watches. Yay! So thank you. <laughs> thank you. This was our 25th Collectability Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe and follow us on your favourite podcast platform so as not to miss any future interviews. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe and follow us on your favourite podcast platform so as not to miss any future interviews. Thank you so much for listening. This is Tanya Edwards for Collectability.